Good morning, church. Can somebody uh, cut those lights on for me? We're going to talk more about compassion as the service goes on. So uh, if you have a packet, hold on to that. And if you don't have a packet yet, I just ask you to be in prayer as this service continues about the possibility of you getting a packet. Uh, but I'm glad you're here this morning. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to ask you to take the Bible open with me to Revelation chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 9, and we're going to go all the way through verse 17. And uh, don't worry, we're not going to be talking about the end times here today. We're not going to be uh, getting into any of that kind of stuff. We're just going to look at a picture of, what's, of what the future is to hold and how that applies to our life right here, right now today. As y'all are turning to Revelation chapter 7, I want to set the stage a little bit for what we're going to talk about today, okay? So you be making your way there, and I want to talk to you about this. Have you ever noticed how the old adage, out of sight, out of mind, is true? Have you ever noticed how true that is for us in life? As humans, whatever we can put out of sight, we can generally put out of mind and we just forget about it, right? We have a pretty bad memory and ability to focus on something that we don't see or encounter often. That's just the truth. And sadly, I've noticed that this tends to be the case, especially true of Christians with the way that we interact and deal with lost people, those who are in a need of a relationship with Jesus Christ. We may not put the person themselves out of minds, but what we do is we go through with we go through life and we put a person's eternal destiny, we put it out of sight and out of mind and we refuse to think about it when we interact with people on a day-to-day basis. And the reality is this is even more true of people who we rarely ever see or people we only see on TV screens. Very rarely do we as Christians ever stop to think about world mission. Very rarely do we as Christians ever stop to think about people in other areas of the world who are in desperate physical and spiritual need. And I don't think you would argue with me that this morning about that. We're out of sight, out of mind. If, we, if it's not right on the forefront of our attention, we just push it to the back and we pretend like it doesn't exist. Today we're going to be looking at our responsibility in carrying the gospel to the nations. However, if we're honest, we are virtually blind to the needs of the nations. Most of us, truth be told, are blind to the needs of the neighbor down the street, much less to the nations. And today, what I want is I want us to wake up, to literally take the blinders off of our eyes, to take the rose-colored glasses off of the way we see the world, to stop putting people and souls out of sight and out of mind and wake up to the great physical and spiritual need that exists in the world around us. So not only in Millen, not only in the state of Georgia, not only in the United States of America, but everywhere in the world. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about this morning. When is the last time that any of us in this room, and I'm including myself in that, have ever stopped to think about the urgent spiritual needs of the 3.1 billion people in the world who have never even heard of the name of Jesus Christ? They only have a knowledge of God that is sufficient to damn them to hell were they to die today. When is the last time that we stopped to think about the spiritual needs of those 3.1 billion people who have never heard the name of Christ? When's the last time anybody, anybody in this room, including me, have ever stopped to think about the nation of India? Any of y'all think about India a lot? Let me tell you a little bit about India. India is 90.5% 
90.5% unreached when no, virtually no missionary presence whatsoever. That means 90 out of 100 people in India, and there are over 1 billion people who live in India, have no knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not only do they not know Jesus and have a personal relationship with Jesus, they most likely have never heard the name of Jesus. And if they have heard the name of Jesus, they don't know what Jesus has done for them because there's nobody to tell them. They're unreached. That's what it means to be unreached. Let me share a quote with you I read as I was, as I was researching a little bit for this sermon about India. A guy named David Platt says this. He says, think about the one particular region in northern India. Given that the death rate in this particular region is about 5,000 people per day and the number of evangelicals is estimated at less than 0.01%, about 9,999 people plunge into hell every two days. That is urgent spiritual need. Can you just, like, I know I'm giving you a lot of numbers. Just stop and wrap your mind around that, okay? Like, just take the small number for a second, okay? 10,000 people every two days in this region die, and maybe one knows Christ. That's the, that's, if statistics hold true, that's the case. And we don't only play this out of sight, out of mind game with spiritual needs. We do it when the world is with physical needs as well. Consider this. 16,000 children under the age of five will die today because of poverty conditions. That's one child every six seconds. Even more, let me ask you this. When's the last time any of us have considered that in the country of Somalia alone, there are 750,000 people on the verge of starvation at this moment? There's great spiritual and physical need in the world around us. Now, listen, I know what I just did was just like drop a volcano of guilt on all of you, and that was not my intention, okay? I didn't start this, I didn't share these statistics to start out and make any of us squirm and feel guilty because limit for having it so good because if I can be completely honest, I thank God that I live in a place where I do not have to worry about these things. I thank God for the freedom and blessing that he's put on us that we have such affluency and that the presence of God is among us. Their church is on every corner. Praise God. I have three, squares meal, three square meals a day. Praise God. However, as we close out this sent series, we need to take our eyes off of the right here, right now, and look to the world around us. We need to ask, what is my role in reaching the 10,000 people who die every two days in India who are going to be going to hell? Surely we can't just think that it's okay to sit here and play no part and stuff like that. The question that I really want to get at today, and I want, I want, if you're a note taker, write this down. The question I really want us to answer today and the, that I want to get at today is this. Why is world missions my responsibility? So write that down. If you're taking notes, I want, I want to answer that question for us today. Why is world missions my responsibility? In other words, why should all these things that I just told you matter to you? Why should I as a Christian here in Millen, Georgia, be concerned about the welfare of 3 billion people who live on the other side of the planet? Why should I care as a Christian who sits, in this, who sits in this place today who's not worried about his next meal? Why should I care about the 16,000 people today who are dying in poverty-like conditions? Why should we care? And now just a second before we read this scripture from the outset, uh, let me add a qualifier because I know as we talk about this, this seems so distant for most of us that what you're going to do is turn me completely off from the outset because you're not going to India. 
right? You've already wrote that off. And I, okay, I understand that. But don't disconnect. Don't turn me off because let me tell you something. If you're here this morning and you are not concerned about the lost in North Korea, you're probably not concerned about the lost in your neighborhood. Does that make you, you follow what I just said there? If you're not concerned about lost people on the other side of the world, you're probably not concerned about the lost people in your home. So as I talk, if you just find yourself disinterested, you find yourself, this doesn't have any impact on me, know that the way you feel about world, world missions is indicative about the way you feel about missions in your local community. So if you've got a Bible, and I hope you do, let's, let's look at Revelation 7. This is a great text, all right? Let's look at it. We're going to start in verse 9. I'm going to read it, and then we'll, we'll get into the text of it today. Revelation 7, verse 9 says this. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, and this is what they said. This is, this is beautiful. Think about this picture. They're crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and, and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So before I keep going, this, this just get this picture in your head. John is, is having this vision of, of heaven, of a future heaven and what it's going to be like. And what he says that he's seen so far is he sees a great multitude of all races, all kinds of people, and they're just out there and there's no way that he could possibly count them. And he's seeing, he says, they're all praising God. They're just lifting up praise to God. He said, and on the outside of these people, on the outside of the multitude, there are angels and the elders of heaven and there are four living creatures. And you'd have to go back in Revelation to find out some things about those four living creatures because they're really creepy, all right? And what they're doing is they're falling down on their faces before God Almighty. Don't have a small picture of God this morning. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But from this picture we're seeing of God, God is very, very, very big. Verse 13 says this, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? So one of the elders asked John, Who are these, Who's this multitude praising? And John said, I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white. This is important. In the blood of the Lamb. Verse 15, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in the temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more. The sun shall, shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's pray. God, I just uh, I come before you this morning, dear God, and I know that as we've got started, dear God, that this will be no light-hearted message, God. This is not uh, flippant. This is not jokey. This is not uh, trife, dear God. This is serious, God. This is very, very, very serious. And God, I just pray that you would wake your people up this morning, God. 
Lord, more than anything, I, I pray today that as, as we come in this building, that we would fall in love with the picture of you that we see in the scripture, Jesus, that we would love you as you really are, not as we've made you up in our minds. You are, you are big and glorious, God, and I pray that we would fall in love with you here today. God, I pray that I would be faithful to your word, God, that I would say nothing that does not represent you in all of your glory and holiness, God. And I just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that hearts and lives would be changed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so what I want to do this morning is we're going to take this text and we're going to chew on it for a while, right? We're going, to, we're going to get the flavor of this text out of the Bible. And so what I want us to do is we chew on this is I want us to see three biblical reasons that world missions and all missions is our responsibility. So here, take it, let me tell you that again. I'm going to give you three reasons. So I asked you a question, why is this my responsibility? I'm going to give you three reasons why this is your responsibility sitting in these chairs in Millen, Georgia. So I'm going to give you three reasons. And then I want to close with an invitation and an opportunity for us to join in on that mission. So that's where we're going. So is everybody ready this morning? Okay. All right, good. So let's start with this. Reason number one. So as, we're, as we take apart this scripture, for you note takers, here's the first biblical reason this is our responsibility. Missions is our responsibility because God deserves the praise of all people. Did y'all get that? Let me repeat it for you. Missions is our responsibility because God deserves the praise of all people. If you're a note taker, write it down. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. Can we put that back up there? All right, if you've got a Bible, look at 9 and 10 with me. And it says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and standing, palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I want you to notice this. I want you to notice that in this text here, there is literally every kind of person imaginable. And what are they doing? They're worshiping. It says there are people from every race and every language and every nation and every tribe and every tongue. There are literally every kind of person that you could imagine is here before the throne of God, worshiping God. I don't want you to miss this picture. They're falling on their faces. They're crying out to God. They're lifting up praise. This is about worship. And the beautiful thing is God actually deserves the praise of all people. So this is not a false praise going on. They're saying, God, you're great. God, you're good. God, you're mighty. And God deserves every bit of it that they're lifting up. In verse 15, read that the multitude actually sits before the throne of God and they serve God. So let me give you a little translation for what these people do all day long. They serve God. They say, God, you're awesome. God, you're mighty. God, we love you. And then at nighttime, they do the same thing. And you know what? They never get tired of it. Jesus is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. However, most of us believe that. As I say those words, you believe them in your mind, but you don't, you've never really grasped them with your heart in such a way that that truth becomes a reality to you. Most of us, if I can be honest with you this morning, most of us serve a God who is too small. The picture you have of the God of the Bible is drastically too small. We believe in our minds that Jesus is worthy of all praise, but we live lives that say Jesus is not even worthy of my praise, my time, or my attention. If I can be honest with you, about my, I don't, I don't really, I've never really shared a lot of my, my personal testimony with, um, 
as I've preached, but if I can just be honest with you for just a second about some of my personal struggle with Christ growing up is I didn't see anybody who really loved a big, big God. Now, let me translate. I saw a lot of people who taught me that I should do what God says, right? I saw a lot of people who taught me that there was this guy named Jesus who died on the cross for my sins, but I didn't really have a lot of people show me by the way they talked about God and the way they lived their lives for God that God was big and awesome and powerful and he was scary. Let me tell you something. If your picture of God doesn't make you just a tiny bit scared of God, you're not, you don't have an adequate picture of him. And then as I got older, I started actually reading the Bible for myself. And I came across scripture passages like Exodus 19 and Exodus 33 and Isaiah 6 where people, when they really encountered God, they couldn't do anything but fall on their face in fear because this God was so big. And what happened to me as I grew up and as I, as, as I started uh, transitioning from high school to college was that something happened to me where God started tearing down the walls of this small, small picture that I had of God, this small box that I had tried to put God in and he started erecting a new walls. He said, Dallas, I'm so much bigger than you think. God must be big to us this morning. This picture that we see of God in the Bible is of a big, big God. And see, this is why missions matters. This is why it's our responsibility because we must be passionate about our neighbors and our people and people around the world being saved because God deserves their praise. There is not a person in here who God doesn't deserve your praise this morning. And for just a second, here's what I want us to do. I know that that sounds good, but what I want us to do is I want us to talk about why God is worthy of all this praise. So what I'm telling you is that God deserves the praise of every person who's ever been created. The question that should come to your mind is why is that so? You should have to prove that to me. So what I want us to do, I want us to, I want to show you from this scripture why God deserves all praise, why God deserves all power. power. So here's what I want you to understand. I want you to move this morning from a small picture of God. Some of you came in here with a a small view of God in your mind. I want you to go from a small view of God this morning to a big view of God. Let's look at this scripture together. Here's, I want you to see a couple things. And listen, this is just from this scripture text. You could go read your Bible and you could find many more reasons why God deserves all the praise of all the people. But I'm just going to show you some, a few things that stood out to me from this scripture, all right? I want you to see a couple things. And I want you to see how big God is in this. God deserves the praise of all people first because God is sovereign over all. I want you to look at verse 10 with me. Has anybody got, you got it, Russ? Y'all look at verse 10 for me. It says, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on, what does God sit on here? A throne. Now, let me ask you this. Who usually sits on thrones? Kings. Or, in other words, the guy in charge, right? I've never really seen peons sit on thrones. You know what I mean? If you're sitting on a throne, you're pretty high up. You're pretty up there. What I want you to realize this morning is that God is on the throne in heaven over all things. He is in charge of ants and he is in charge of kings. God rules over heaven and God rules over earth here. God is the king over life and God is the king over death. You see, God is the king over America and over every other nation in the world. God is in control of the crops and the field and the breath in our lungs. 
I read a quote one time that says, there's not a square inch over all the earth where God does not reach his hand out and say, mine, 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 mine. God literally runs all all of it. He's on a throne. God is sovereign, sovereign over all things, and he is not running around frantically making sure that everything goes right over here and making sure everything goes right over here. God is sitting on a throne, and what he wills, he accomplishes because he is in control. See, a lot of you, that's never become real in your life. You've never really understood that God's in control of every single thing that has ever happened or will ever happen. Read the Bible. It's in there. Second thing I want you to see is this. Not only is God sovereign over all things, he's in control. Look at verse 10 too. It says, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. God deserves all praise because God owns salvation. Let me, some of us have got some things we own that we're pretty proud of, right? Some of us have got old cars that we own we're pretty proud of. Some of us have got the collectibles that, we're, uh, that we own that we're pretty proud of. Listen, God owns salvation. I don't want you to skim over that. I don't want you to leave here this morning and not know how important that is. When the Bible says salvation belongs to God, it means that he alone has the power to save and deliver and rescue people. God alone can do that. In the context, the multitude is literally praising God for salvation that he made through Jesus. Don't miss this. God deserves all praise because we were lost, we were hopeless, and we were drifting toward an eternity in hell. And God, by his unimaginable grace, saved us. We were in trouble, and God delivered us. We were next to death, and God rescued us. We were damned, and God saved us. See, you're not understanding what I'm telling you this morning because God owns salvation. If you've ever been saved, God would be a lot bigger in your life than he is in most of us. Last thing I want you to see is this. God is the ultimate source of satisfaction. So God deserves all praise because he's the ultimate source of satisfaction. Let's look at verses 15 through 17. It says this. Therefore, they are before the throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more. Talking about the multitude now. The the multitude shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Notice that the people who praise God here are provided for. He literally sustains them and upholds them and satisfies them. Now, this is a glimpse into the future of what it's going to be like one day with God. But get this. For Christians, that reality is also in the here and now. Because there is not one thing in this world that can satisfy and sustain me outside of Jesus Christ. And listen, if you think, I I, I would even issue a challenge. If you think that there's anything in this world that can satisfy you and make you perfectly happy outside of Christ, go for it. I mean, run as hard as you can after it. Now, listen, I don't want to see you ruin your life. I don't want to see you run into sin. But what I can promise you is if you think there's one thing in your life that will satisfy you outside of Jesus Christ, you're wrong. And there are people in here who could testify to that. There are some of you in here who could say, I've searched for happiness in a spouse. I've searched for happiness in a job. I've searched for happiness in money. I've searched for happiness in all these things. And listen, you could stand up here and testify with me today that none of those things make you happy. Because in Christ, we know that the only thing that can make us happy and satisfy our souls is Jesus. Go read the book of Ecclesiastes. If anybody had the power to pursue anything they wanted, it was Solomon. Y'all know a little bit about Solomon? 
Solomon was not like D-level when it come to money or doing things that he wanted to do. Solomon was in the pros, right? When Solomon built houses and palaces and forests and parks and he married women after woman after woman and he just he had he had parties after parties go read ecclesiastes he literally describes all that he tried to do to satisfy his soul to satisfy his soul and outside of Christ he couldn't do it are you beginning to see it are you beginning to see this morning why God is worthy of all praise of all people everywhere and as Christ followers, let me, just, let me just throw this at you. We cannot be content with 3 billion people in the world not knowing Jesus Christ. If you are not passionate for other people to praise God, the chances are you just don't know God. Let me repeat that. If in your heart you don't want other people to love Jesus like you love Jesus, you probably don't know Jesus. Listen, I'm not concerned with how few people come to this church on Sunday morning. But what I am concerned about is how few people actually worship Jesus every Sunday morning. Jesus is worthy of all praise. So that's the first reason. Reason number two is this. Missions is our responsibility because Jesus loves all people. Look with me again at verse 9. Can we put verse 9 out there? It says, he said, look at where the people come from. They come from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. How did these people get here? As I read that, that was my question. How did the people from every nation and tribe and tongue and language, how did they get there? Well, the answer is pretty easy. They got there because Jesus died for them on a cross to purchase their salvation. That's how they got there. And here's what I want you to see. That shows me that as I read this scripture, that Jesus Christ loves all people. Here's what's important for us to see. Jesus Christ didn't just die for white people or black people or Americans or Russians. Jesus Christ, here is, is evident, died for all people everywhere. And when we realize that Jesus Christ loves all people, he loves Arabs and he loves whites, he loves blacks and he loves Indians, the way we think about mission changes. Because it's hard for us to realize that Christ loves somebody and not care for that person's eternal destiny. Listen, it's a day and time that's more partisan, hostile, segregated than almost any time in recent history. We live in a world where walls go up around all of us, right? And we just set walls up and people know what we're against and, what, and they don't know who we're for, though. There's white people against black people, Miss Miller. And there's Democrats against Republicans. And there's conservatives against liberals. And there's young men against old men. Men against women. America against the world. The world against America. Muslims against Christians. It's a world that literally separates. Like we put up walls around ourselves and we're divided. And everyone's an enemy instead of a person who needs Christ. But when we realize that Jesus Christ loves other people the same way that he loves me, it changes the way that we approach other people. When we realize the love that Christ has for other people, our primary battle becomes not winning an argument, but winning a person to Christ. And listen, thinking about this in terms of world mission, I, wanna, I, wanna, I challenge you, how many of us have turned on the news in the last few months and we have looked at people from other nations, we've looked at people from North Korea and Egypt and China and have stopped to realize that these people on a TV screen are real people who have real souls and have, who need a real Savior who really loves them. 
Like, how many of us have stopped to realize that these are real people? Because let me tell you what, I can assure you what would happen. If we would stop to realize that people across the globe, people across the parking lot, people across the street are real people who need a real Savior who really loves them, the walls that separate us have come tumbling down. Because listen, it doesn't matter what divides me and you. If I have something you need, which is the Savior, Jesus Christ, I can find common ground somewhere. Practically, what we need in this church is a softened heart. You know, some of us, we just have hard hearts. We have hard hearts that we build up and we just put away other people and we push and we watch the news so much that we become desensitized to the hurts of real people everywhere and you just don't have a soft heart. What we need today is a heart that's soft toward other people. And reason number three is this. Missions is our responsibility because we have the solution for sin. Now focus in here with me because this is the most important point I'm going to make today. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. It says this, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, So one of the elders that's around the throne comes to John, and he asks John, he says, he asks him this question, Who are these clothed in white? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Here we're told that those who are worshiping God are made clean. Their robes are white. Now, here's what I, here's what I, I, I didn't understand as I read this. You know, white is a color that symbolizes purity and cleanliness. Everybody, everybody knows that. That's why when a bride's married, a bride wears white to symbolize purity, correct? What I want you to see is how absolutely amazing it is that anybody could come before God clean, though. Because, you see, sin has made it such in our lives that when we stand before God, we're going to be dirty. We're all dirty and condemned and sinful before the holy and righteous and clean God of the Bible. That's just the reality of life. Before God, we are sinners and he is holy. We are not righteous and he is righteous. We have rebelled against him and he is perfect. How is it possible that these people could be made white and pure and holy before him? Anybody remember what Isaiah 64, 6 says? It says, we all have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before God. You know what that says? It means the best that you can possibly do before God still dirty. You can buster up all the strength and all the energy and all the uh, grit you want to to try to be good enough to get to heaven, and on the day that you die, you'll still be dirty before God. Isaiah says we're like filth before God. So how is it possible that anybody could be clean before God? Look at verse 14 with me. It says, These robes have been made white in the blood of the Lamb. Here's what I want you to see. The blood of Jesus Christ purified them. It was the blood of Jesus Christ that washed away all their sin and made them be able to stand in the presence of God. And I want you to make that, I don't want you to just understand that for them this morning. I want you to take that and apply it to yourself. If you were saved this morning before God, we were all dirty sinners condemned to die. But when, and when we place our faith in Christ, the blood of Christ comes over us and it doesn't wash us red. It makes us white like snow, clean before God. And here's what I want you to understand. On your 
own. You'll never be white before God. You'll never be clean. You'll never be pure. You'll never be sinless. But when you place your faith in Christ, that's how God sees you. We are not saved by trying harder. We're not saved by cleaning ourselves up. I never understand that when people come to church and their thought process, I'm not ready to surrender my life to Christ yet. I just got a long way to go. Let me make sure you know this morning, you'll never be good enough to come to Christ. But when you come to Christ, let me tell you what he does. He makes you good enough. We are saved by the blood of Jesus making us clean. Here's what I want you to see. We have the solution for sin. We, as Christians, have the solution for sin. There is one problem that everybody in the world has from the day that they're born. And that problem is this. They're going to die as a sinner and stand before a holy God. Now do you start, are you starting to see why missions is our responsibility? Are you starting to understand why this is so important? Because everybody in the world has one problem and there's only one solution to it and we have it. Missions is our responsibility because there is a world that is sick and dying with sin and we have the cure for sin. Missions is our responsibility because if you've been cured yourself, you should want the cure for others. I, I have to... I have to be honest here, brutally honest. I do not understand Christians. I'm going to put Christians in air quotes. I do not understand Christians who claim to have the salvation of Jesus Christ from sin and take the salvation of others lightly. I was in a situation this weekend where people, good people, were just not worshiping God. They were not doing anything bad. Just God was the furthest thing from their mind. And I got in my truck and I left and I was on my way home and literally could not stand the thought of people going through life without the solution for their sin. I don't understand Christians who are not passionate about seeing other people saved. I want you to imagine this scenario with me. Just think through this with me. I want you to imagine this for, for this to be a real scenario in your life. You're sick. And I'm not talking about you just got uh, the common cold sick. You have, uh, you're deathly sick. You got something that you go to every doctor and they just can't diagnose. Doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor. Nobody can figure out what's wrong with you. Nevertheless, every day you're getting closer to death. Every day you're losing more weight. You're deteriorating. The situation gets worse and worse until you can't even get out of bed. Put yourself in the shoes. Now, literally, fathom this being you. You're, you're next to death. As you hang on for life, though, your case gets heard by a doctor who's far off. That doctor says, I think I know what's wrong with him. And that doctor comes to you, and he gives you the, the look over, and he diagnoses you just like that. He prescribes you a medicine and says, take this every day for 30 days. Miraculously, you're healed. You were brought back from the very brink of death. Let me ask you something. Would you not sing the praises of this doctor? Would you not tell everyone you could come in contact with about the doctor that saved you, about the doctor who brought you back from death? Now imagine this. Your neighbor across the street gets sick. And in a few weeks, he becomes deathly ill. You cannot fathom what's wrong with him. The doctors go. He goes to doctor after doctor after doctor, and they can't diagnose him. But you notice that his symptoms are the same as yours. You notice that he is deteriorating the same way you deteriorated, even to the point of death. 
Let me ask you something. Would you not go to that man and diagnose him yourself and recommend him to your doctor and prescribe him your medicine or even give him some of the medicine you had left over? Then let me ask you this. Why on God's green earth do we as Christians keep quiet about Jesus? Because the scenario was the same for you and I. We were close to death on the brink of hell's edge. And Christ, the doctor who was far off, came and gave us the medicine we needed, his blood to make us pure. And yet there are people all around us with the same sickness and the same death, and we let them plunge toward the pits of hell. We as Christians have the solution for sin, the solution for the sickness that plagues the world. Yet we don't love God the doctor enough to tell the people about him. God, forgive us. This morning, that's literally what we have to pray. God, forgive us that we are surrounded by lost and dying neighbors and lost and dying world, and we have the message and the resources that they need, and we don't open our mouth. Maybe you're here today, and you've realized, as I've described, the righteousness that comes by Jesus' blood, that you've never had that righteousness yourself. The first thing I would challenge you is in a few minutes, we're going to have a time of response, a moment of invitation. If you've realized that before God, you need what he's offering you, I'm going to be standing right there in that corner right there. I would plead with you today, take the medicine. It is effective. And this is what I want to close with this morning. I want to close with an invitation for you to join in on God's mission. So I said at the outset of the day, how is the mission of God to all nations your responsibility when you're sitting right here in Millen, Georgia? Most of you don't go out of the county throughout the week. How are you supposed to impact India? How are you supposed to make a difference in South America? I want to talk to you about that just for a second. But look with me at verse 15 and 17 again. And can we, as we read these verses, I want you in your heart to fathom how amazing what I'm saying is. This is God talking. It says, therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. God literally will put his presence over his people. And they shall hunger no more. Neither shall they thirst. The sun shall not scorch them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let me tell you this. There is coming a day when God will take all of those who are his and he will eternally satisfy them with his presence. But that day is not yet. And until that day comes, God has asked you and he has asked you he's asked me and he's asked you he's asked us to join him on the mission of being living water to people who do not have living water he's called us to join him on the mission to provide water physical water for those who do not have physical water and so I want to give you an invitation today and I want to invite you to join me and join my family and join this church on God's mission past these four walls. And here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you three ways that I want you to interact, that I want to give you uh, an invitation to respond today. Here are three things. Number one is this. I want to give you an opportunity to pray for the lost. We have this altar down here, and some, sometimes it's used on Sunday, sometimes it's not. But as we respond today, I know that there are people in your life who you have to want to reach for the gospel. 
And some of you, listen, some of you don't pray for them like you should, if you could just be honest. There are people who they're going toward the pits of hell, and you could just, you act like you care less. God, you don't even lift them up in prayer. Today is a day to change that. At the outset of this song, would you come down here and would you pray for one lost person? Just one. One person in your life that needs to know Christ. I can tell you, I've been praying for one guy in my own personal life. I've been praying for him for two and a half years. You know what? He's still lost. I can't promise you that if you come down here today and you pray for somebody, they're going to get saved. But I can promise you this, God wants you to pray for them. So come down here today and pray for the lost. Second thing I want you to do, Here's the, I want you to give you the opportunity to, if you can't go on a mission trip to other nations, I want to give you the opportunity to send people on mission trips to other nations. We got three uh, young ladies who are going on mission trips this year who still have money to raise. And what I'm going to ask them to do is I'm going to ask them to stand at the next steps table today, and they're going to be, uh, I'm going to ask them to stand back there, and they are Lindsay Doolittle, and they are Taylor Gay, and they are Sam. I want you to consider writing them a check. Because if you're not called to go, I can promise you that you're called to sin. And the last thing I want you to do, I want to offer you today, is an opportunity to sponsor a child through compassion. Remember those statistics I told you earlier? 16,000 children under the age of five die every day to conditions of poverty. 45% of those 16,000, 45% of those 16,000 deaths occur in the first 28 days of life. Before a child turns one month old, every day, 7,000 of them die before they turn one month old. That's crazy. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. And I want to tell you about what compassion does. Compassion is $38 a month. And for $38 a month, you feed a child, you clothe a child, and you educate a child. For $38 a month. Listen, I got a 10-month-old that I can't feed for $38 a month. I can promise you, for $38 a month, you can do that. And here's the cool, really cool thing. 88 cents of every dollar goes directly to the child. When you consider that Compassion has a company to run, the fact that they only take 12 cents of every dollar to run that company is amazing. And so here's my goal today. If you didn't notice, this is my personal packet that, I, that me and Jenna are going to take. And her name is Jennifer Kuwafi. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. And listen, I, cho- I because I got the packets first, I got to go through all of them and pick which one I wanted. And my daughter has fat cheeks, and this is the only one that I could find that had fat cheeks. So I chose Jennifer. So listen, we've got 22 of these back there. My goal is for today, all 22 of those to be gone. But listen, don't take this packet if you're not really going to do it because there's, there's only one packet for Jennifer. There's only one packet for those other kids. And if you take it and you're not serious about doing it, guess what? They don't get sponsored. There's a time limit on it. So please, if you're serious about that, take it and fill it out. We'll mail it back for you. But I want to challenge you with that. Listen, I know that today is a heavy day. But as we close in prayer here, I just want to challenge you. Don't sit on the sidelines in the mission of God. Get up and actively get involved. If you're complaining about how you don't ever feel God in your life, God's not going to pour into people who are not pouring out. So get up and get involved. So with every every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to close this in prayer. And I want to close with a final plea. If you're here today and you're lost... And before God, you know that you would never be able to stand. 
I want to make sure you understand that there is righteousness for, for you. There is righteousness that covers every sin you've ever committed, no matter how bad, no matter how heinous. And today is the day when every sin can be covered. And so I want to challenge you today, don't leave without that righteousness. I'll be right over here in the corner. I'd love to pray with you and, and, and t- point you toward the Christ who can save you. Let's pray. God, I love you. God, I praise you. I thank you, God, for this time together this morning. I pray that you would use it however your kingdom sees fit, God. Uh, you are good and big, God. And I just pray that we would have a mindset that's big enough, dear God, to take in all that you are. God, just break our hearts for you this morning. In Christ's name I pray.